Well, for the last six years, some of you know, since Eric has come as our uh, senior pastor, we have spent some of our summertime focused on a foundational essential of the faith. We've looked at the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed and baptism and the Lord's Prayer, really seeking to linger uh, with things that are familiar to many of us, to dive into their depth and their beauty, and to think together how they really impact our day-to-day life and our life together. Why these things, like the table, are so essential to our life together as a church and for us personally, and why they have been that way throughout all of church history. Because sometimes, as we know, what is most essential becomes so commonplace that we can uh, begin to overlook its significance. So today we're beginning this four-week series called The Table to explore, uh, some of us perhaps for the first time, what it is that is declared and celebrated when we come to this table. And let me just say, I expect and hope that there are people here who may never have come to this table before. And if that's you, I'm so glad that you're here. And whether that's you or you've been uh, someone who's come to this table many times, I hope that all of our hearts and our minds will be uh, enlarged and expanded to know God more as we come. Some of you... uh, maybe had been at the eight o'clock service when um, I was serving communion and I had on this flowy top and the sleeve of my top caught the communion cup and it just spilled all over the table and it was a white tablecloth and it actually I learned down the front of the table spilled in the shape of a chalice and it just continued to drip 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 onto the carpet of the chapel for the whole service But it ended up being this very graphic depiction of God's grace really poured out toward us abundantly, uh, continually flowing. And it served as a reminder for me at this table that God can redeem and even make beautiful our mistakes. The table was literally dripping with the grace of God in spite of my mistake, really because of my mistake. I found a website that talks about um, different memories that adults have of when they were a kid. And of course, there's a whole section about church. And so I started reading through and I found some things that people thought specifically about what happens when we um, come to communion. So listen to some of these things. One guy writes, when I was in first grade, I brought a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to school every day, but I always threw away the crusts. And one day, a girl from my class saw the leftover crust in my plastic baggie as I was heading to the trash can, and she yelled, don't throw that away! It's Jesus' skin! (laughs) And she had just had her first communion. And then another guy wrote this, I used to believe they served communion at church as a snack because the service was so long. (laughs) That's until I grabbed a handful of crackers and an usher set me straight. Another guy said this, before I took my first communion, I was scared because everyone always talked about the body of Christ, and I thought it was his real body, really thin slices of his arms and legs, and I hoped they would run out before I made my first communion so that I didn't have to eat Jesus. I just love that, but it speaks to this element of mystery that is at this table, whether you are an adult or you are a child. I think it's interesting to think, how would you, if somebody asked you, what is happening when we come to this table? How would you answer? What does this mean for you personally when you are welcomed to this table? What does it mean for us 
as a church. And that's really what we're going to be exploring over the next four weeks, and we hope that it will impact the way that we do life together. So let's pray, and we'll open up God's word. God, you are so good and so kind. Your grace is so abundant. And God, we want to see you more clearly. We want to know you more, and we want you to be lifted up always when we gather for worship, and certainly as we gather around your table. So we pray, Lord, that you would teach us by your spirit this morning. Amen. So today we're really talking about this table as communion, and I hope we'll leave with a deeper understanding of what that means. And in the coming weeks, we'll talk about this table as the Eucharist, as many uh, church traditions call it, and the Lord's Supper, and also a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. Four different ways of understanding the table. They're all really important, and they'll all be offered by different preachers, which I think will be fun for us. But today, communion, which comes in part from this really short passage in 1 Corinthians 10, a much longer letter where Paul's writing about a whole number of things. But in the midst of that letter, he writes this. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Just two little verses, but there is so much that's captured in here. And Paul wants us, as he wanted the Corinthian church, to understand that there is something deeply significant about this meal. What we experience here should change us, and it actually should impact our life, not only when we're here in worship, but when we leave and when we are out in the world. But what is he talking about here that's so essential? He uses and repeats this word participation twice in that one verse participation in the blood of Christ, participation in the body of Christ when we drink the cup and break the bread. What does that mean that we participate in it? So I did a word study on this word participation, and in the Greek, it's a word that you may have heard before. It's koinonia. And as often in the case in English, we don't have a singular word that can capture all the depth and the layers of this word, kind of like um, shalom or agape or zoe, those words hold so much meaning. But this word koinonia is used 19 times in the New Testament, and it's translated in six or seven different ways, depending on the context, to get at the richness of what it means in that passage. And it's the way, it's the word that we use for fellowship. But here are the other ways that it's translated in what it means. It means an intimate sharing a generosity with one another, holding something in common, an identification with, communion, deep connection. And no matter where you see it, no matter how it uh, is in context, koinonia, anywhere in scripture, always points to what believers have in common because of their life in Christ. So that's what we see over all of those 19 uses. So when Paul writes that we have koinonia, that we have this communion, this fellowship in the body and blood of Christ, he is saying something really extraordinary, that we are spiritually connected. We are in communion with the divine life of Jesus Christ. We're not only identified with Jesus, but we intimately share in his body and in his blood. 
And this is like very mysterious to me. It's mind-bending, but it has been a comfort to me that it has been for hundreds of years. And one of the ways that we know that is our confessions address this very word in this very verse. And so there are people who for, um, have taken really the whole counsel of Scripture, and when we look at our confessions, they have helped to articulate in a way that helps us understand. So I looked at the Heidelberg Catechism, which I commend to you. It was written almost 500 years ago in this question and answer format, and you could just Google it online. But they have a whole section on communion, which made me uh, feel comfortable that there is this sense of mystery that might not be readily obvious to us. And one question, question 79, we're going to put it up here, addresses this very thing. Why does Paul use the words a participation in Christ's body and blood. And this is what it says. He wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge, meaning the bread and the cup, he wants to assure us that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in his true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance, and that all of his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. That is amazing. This participation, this koinonia with the body and blood of Christ means that we belong so intimately to Jesus' sacrifice and death and his atonement that it's as if we had made them with our own body. Jesus gives his life to us through the Spirit. But Paul is not saying that we are saved through this meal or that you become a Christian by eating this meal or that this is the literal body and blood of Christ. This table, communion, this koinonia affirms what God has already done in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit, by Jesus' grace for you through your faith of receiving this gift. Paul is saying here, as truly as you take in a physical piece of bread, as really as you drink that cup, so true, so real, so tangible is your salvation of your spiritual body. One way to say it is that communion is an outward sign of an inward reality, or a visible sign of an inward grace. So this meal is more than just remembering by his spirit, Jesus is with us as we come to this table. We are in communion. We are in koinonia fellowship. But here is what is so great about the gift of God in this, is that this koinonia that we share with the Lord through his spirit is also meant to be shared this way among all of us. By Christ, by his church. My funniest memory of communion took place right up here about seven or eight years ago, and it was at the 11 o'clock service, when we had an 11 o'clock service. And we used to um, serve everybody by intinction and then serve the band until this happened. And now we don't do this any longer. But um, Craig Nugaborn isn't here, but I asked him if I could share this story, and we had a good laugh about it. We talk about it quite often. But so all the musicians were up here, and uh, everyone had been served. And we used to just kind of like walk around with the bread and the cup. And he was playing the bass guitar up here, 
And everybody else, like, stopped and, you know, took a piece of bread, dipped it in the cup or whatever, and he just didn't feel like he could do that. So he's up here playing, and so I took a piece of the bread and the cup, and I'm just holding it here behind him, like, wondering what to do. I now know he was expecting me to just put it right here, but I just couldn't fathom taking the body of Christ and putting it on the music stand. So I'm just standing up here, and he's singing and leading, and I didn't know what to do. So he just starts shaking his head like this. I'm behind him. He just starts shaking his head like, no, 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 no. He's playing. So I just reached around from behind while he was singing and just put it in his mouth. (laughs) And it was so awkward, and everybody was watching, and it was one of those things where driving home, I was like, I can't believe I just did that. It was so awkward. But it was one of those just like funny family moments where we were coming to the table together, and that is what community is also about our koinonia, our fellowship with one another. And Paul, again, in this second verse wrote this, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. And so he's also writing that we also are called the body of Christ, the people of God, every tribe, tongue, and nation, in every place throughout history are also called the body of Christ. So What he also wants us to know is not only do we have communion and koinonia with God himself when we come to this table, but we also share in that kind of koinonia and fellowship. That's what God intends for us when we come to this table because we all share in this body and blood of Christ. That is the most important identifying thing about you if you are a Jesus follower, that you are identified with Jesus Christ. And so we hold that together in common and we honor that. Uh, for one another. And so Paul repeats this word one three times in that short verse, and from the earliest church, this was one of the most important things, and this table is where boundaries and barriers were taken down, master and slave, rich and poor, Jew and Greek would come together and know of their oneness, their unity at this table. And you know, that's most of all why we use a gluten-free loaf of bread. We have sacrificed some nice squishy taste of the communion bread so that we can all eat from one loaf and come to one table together, that reminder that we are united in Christ. But I love that our God is a God who would choose a meal with his friends and with his family as a picture of what his kingdom looks like and uh, the hope that we have for what that will look like. We have koinonia with him and with one another. I just want to read this um, description of some of this family unity that we have when we come together. I don't even know who wrote this, but it says this. When Jesus gave us communion, he intended it to be a meal that invites us to come together as a family in every circumstance of our lives. We are meant to come together with others when we are happy and when we're sad when the occasion is festive, and when the occasion is mundane, when we celebrate new life, when we bury loved ones, when we give ourselves to each other in marriage, and when we need reconciliation, when our energy is high and when our energy is low, when we feel the need for each other and when we want distance from others, and when we have no other reason to be together other than the fact that Jesus invites us. I love that. We come. We are invited to this table, whether we feel like our faith is on a really healthy place or whether we feel like we're hanging on by a thread. 
we come to this table to remember God's presence with us and our love for one another. And I just want to say, often, I think when we come to this table, there's something that feels very ordinary about it, and that's a good thing. This bread and this juice are Welch's grape juice and a loaf of bread from a Boulder bakery. There's no magic in these elements. They are ordinary elements. Just like the water for baptism, it comes out of our tap or out of the Boulder reservoir. Jesus came in the flesh to ordinary people in ordinary life to show us what God is like. So there is an ordinary kind of mundane part of our life together. This meal took place in homes, a simple meal. And yet there's also something so extraordinary when we come here because God himself is with us. God in Christ, by the presence of his spirit, meets us here and actually is our host at this table. And that is a mystery in many ways. It is to me, I'm sure it is to some of you. Jesus intends for this to be both ordinary and extraordinary for us. And speaking of ordinary, um, Lucy and I baked this uh, loaf of bread this week in our new kitchen. And I was so inspired, our staff went to go see the exhibit at the Denver uh, Nature and Science Museum about the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it was really remarkable to see these ancient manuscripts of scripture that have been found. But there were also all these other things around the exhibit that talked about uh, life throughout history and church life. And one of the most interesting, my favorite thing that I saw was this piece of pottery that I had never seen before, and it actually is a bread seal that was used, this is from the 12th century, that was used to mark uh, the communion bread. And it has what's called a Christogram in it, and it has the letters for Jesus Christ, in Greek a uh, kind of shortened version of Jesus Christ conquers, Nika conquers. So on the communion bread, they would use this press as a way to kind of consecrate and mark this bread, this ordinary bread, as special. And so you can see here, I actually found one of these on Amazon this week. It was so great. So you can still buy these, and people still use them. And I also found this recipe that goes with this seal. And what was so cool is that that's the first layer of bread, and you seal it. But then you make an exact loaf, and you put it on top, and you seal it again. So you can see it's a little uh, wonky. But what it represents is both the human and the divine nature of Jesus. And when I pulled it out of the oven and said, Luce, it's a little lopsided, she said, well, the human side is always a little lopsided. (laughs) But I thought, amen. But it was that way of saying, like, Jesus came in ordinary flesh. Like, there was no magic there. He was fully man. And so when we come to this table, one of the things that we are celebrating is that Jesus Christ, fully man like us, the incarnation came. And as a man, he was able to take our sin upon himself, the sin of all humanity he was able to hold. And yet he's also divine, fully God. And so only one who was fully man and fully God is able to present us before the Father as holy. And at this table, we're reminded that we receive all those gifts of this sacrifice, this wiping away of our sin, as if we were the ones that were actually atoned for the sin, that Jesus gives us that life. It's an amazing thing that we celebrate when we come here. 
I love that we sang right before we came to this table that God knows us by name. And one of the things that we want to do today, the reason that I had you uh, learn the names of the people around you, is that we actually want to say to one another as we receive communion, Burke, this is the body of Christ broken for you as we serve one another. Surely, this is the blood of Christ poured out for you. So I want to invite you to do that. If you are here and you either aren't a believer or you haven't taken this meal uh, before, we are so glad that you're here. And you can simply just let the plate and the cup pass by if you want to. Um, and if you are a child and you haven't, um, you're not ready to be served, you can still hear those words. This is the body of Christ, and you can still say them to the person next to you. But of course, if that is uncomfortable for you, just feel free to let it pass by. But as often as we can, let's use one another's name, not only in a, as a reminder of our koinonia, of our communion, our fellowship with one another, but this reminder that God knows our names, that God actually has a seat for you, just for you, at this table. So let's pray as we come. God, you know us so well to give us tangible reminders of your love, of your grace, of your presence with us. That as surely as we hold these pieces of bread in our hands and this cup in our hands, that you are with us. So God, we thank you for these gracious reminders. And we thank you, God, that you are here with us. That by your spirit, you uh, extend this grace to us anew. So we lift you up and we thank you in Christ's name.